This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. This is Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And Tara Tibbetts coming to you from the cooling off Fort Worth, Texas. And you are listening to our special monthly fox hunting episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for September 16th, 2021. And this is episode 2768. Good morning, Horse World. This is a very special, uh, the third Thursday of every month. So if you are looking to learn more about fox hunting, find out if there's fox hunting near you, or just get more information about the sport, check in on the third Thursday of every month. Woohoo! And as I say, every single month, fox hunters have great adventures. They're out, they're out and about. They're always some, there's something different going on. There's not a lot of plan. When one goes to a fox hunt, there's always something going on. You can't tell the hounds, oh, by the way, we want to hunt in this cornfield today. It doesn't work that right? way. That doesn't work that way. So this is the point in the show where I always catch up on Tara's most recent adventures. And as we record this, we are comfortably into September of 2021. And for much of the country, we are just now gearing up to get back into hunting season. So what have you been up to? So we have been riding new territory, getting acclimated, getting to know the what's and the where's and the creek crossings and the gates and the this and the that. And one of our landowners recently invited us to come out and help, and I use the word help very loosely, move cattle. Oh, really? Yes. And and the this particular property is all in... It, it, it's there's a I think it's a county road that kind of cuts it in half but it's a it's close to 6,000 acres it's pretty substantial mm-hmm. and for some reason thought it would be a good idea to invite a bunch of um, primarily English riding fox hunters to come help move cattle and it was one of the more amusing and incredibly fun things I've done in a while <laughs> now have you ever moved cattle from a horse before I have moved tens of thousands of head of cattle from horseback. So was the major entertainment factor in the process you went through with you and your horse or watching everybody else try to figure it out? Maybe it was a little bit of both. There was a couple there. I think there were seven or eight of us that were, and I, again, finger quotes, helping. And a couple of them have actually purchased horses in the last year or two that are kind of ranch cattle type horses, but there, so there was a few horses that knew what they were doing. My fox sounds talking in the background and there were a few, a couple people who knew what they were doing. Unfortunately, the people who knew what they were doing to an extent and the horses who knew were really not matched up. So I was riding <laughs> Simon, my absolutely Game for anything and delightful off the track thoroughbred who I think this is his third or fourth season hunting. 
And he has moved cattle before. We've moved cattle twice. We've just never had to move cattle that these particular cattle were like, this is a secret to, to folks who want to learn about moving cattle. Older cows that are used to being moved by horses, they know the trails, they know where they're going, and it's easy. And that's all Simon has ever done. These were older cattle who had never been moved by horseback and were like, what the heck are these creatures following us? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> yes. And so I've had a lot of fantastic cows that have what we call cow sense. And I don't have to think very much about looking at the cow and the cow's turning and going a different direction. The horse kind of follows it. Simon doesn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so we did have one particular incident during the day. It, it went relatively well considering everything. And it, it, it was well fenced. And, and at the end of the day, we were very successful. But there was one point in time where we had the cattle. And it was a couple hundred head. And we had them in a small area. And they... We were hoping to get them through a gate that was kind of, it led them down what was basically an alley of fence to go to where we needed them to go, which would make it a little bit easier. However, they'd never done it before, which makes it harder and all those other things. Anyway, so I'm trying to make Simon be kind of a cutting horse. Simon 16-2 has zero cow sense and it had rained 30 minutes into our ride, so it was slippery. So I was asking him to go left, and then I asked him to go right, and then I asked him to go left again, and his feet just said no, and we all went down together. Oh, no. <laughs> and it was one of those falls where you're like, this could be really bad, but it happened so slowly, and he was so sweet and careful. He just kind of like folded his legs under him like a like a dog, kind mm -hmm. of, like when they lay down, and then just slowly went on his side. So I was able to scoot out from under him, and neither of us got hurt. Oh, my God. Goodness. Oh, poor Simon. Did the other ponies yes. laugh at him? Nobody really saw it. Like everybody was like, yeah, we saw you. And then the next thing, cause he did kind of get up and, and, and canter away from me. Um, which again, thankfully we were in a small enclosure, so it was easy to catch him, but they're like, yeah, we saw you on hit Ron Simon. And then we saw you running with Simon's reins in your hands. Oh, no. <laughs> like, yeah. You weren't, you weren't wearing the ex excruciatingly expensive new bridle, were you? No other kind of funny story. He'd been playing rough outside the Friday before I left. We, we did move cattle on Sunday and I stayed at a friend's house a couple of nights and he'd scraped his face really badly. And so I didn't have my regular hunt bridle on. I had this like old schooling bridle that I took the cabazon off of. So yeah, my saddle wasn't messed up. You know, nothing, not just, just our egos. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, you know, it adventures in new things, right? Yes. And we, you know, it, we rode the property for a few hours. We really, there's something about, you know, you go on a trail ride to learn new territory and, you know, you learn stuff and I have a tracker on my Apple watch and I'll go back and look at the map later. But when you're actually out doing something like hunting a territory or moving cattle, you get to know it in a more intimate way because you're doing something like I need to get across this Creek to go move these cows to this different area. So you're a little bit more resourceful with the way you're thinking and looking at it. Yes. Yes. I can see that you're, you're moving about the geography with purpose. So you're really learning the geography of how the different parts of the property relate to each other, where how yeah. this Hill relates to that gate and how that stream crossing relates to that cover, etc. Good point. I never thought of that. 
Well, especially most of us who rode along that day were, you know, are we just we ride as staffs or ride as whips or lead a field. And so those are the people who are out who have to know, you know, if we need to go after a hound and turn a hound, we have to know because there's this particular property has got some pretty deep creek crevices that you can't just jump across. Like you've got to find a decent crossing. So it, it was great for that. And it's a new territory. So um, definitely educational. Yay. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing about the first time that that territory is officially hunted with the hounds and the staff and the field. Yes, me too. Yay. And speaking of um, hounds and staff and field, all official terms we use in the sport, what is our term of the month? So our term of the month is moderately redundant, but not. So the term of the month is autumn hunting. And previously, a couple years ago, Emily and I did the term cubbing, which cubbing is becoming a more antiquated term for what is now referred to as autumn hunting, um, which is pretty self-explanatory. It's hunting in the fall. And so cubbing was talking more about young hounds and young quarry, which, you know, we're trying to take a lot of hunts are doing drag hunts and the focus is not on, you know, catching something it's more on the sport of hunting and pursuing and that's kind of it mm-hmm. so autumn hunting is like i said autumn hunting and it's my personal favorite because it's when we get to wear our fantastically beautiful tweed coats and Yay. brown tall boots and brown helmets and the more um what is considered informal hunting attire and it's when the young hounds go out it's it's um it's a great time to introduce your a new horse to hunting, or if you're new new to hunting yourself, it's a great time to go out because the field tends to be smaller. It, it's um, it's less formal, like really in, in every way, it's less formal. So there's more, um, so I'm more forgiving, I guess, in terms of getting the horse used to stuff. And you're going to be you know, dealing with young hounds who are learning from older hounds. And you don't have to braid. You don't have to be quite as fancy with your turnout, um, even though yeah, I think the tweeds and, and the autumn colors are beautiful. And a lot of the hunts that are pretty active in autumn hunting, it can be difficult in Texas because it's so hot, but they'll go out super early in the morning because scent is better before the heat and the sun rises. So that's when a lot of hunts are going out at 637, 8 o'clock in the morning. Whereas during formal season, they're going to be going out more like 9, 10, or 11, depending on where they are in the United States. And that's something that, again, the United States, really huge place. Everything is different in different parts of the country where the time of day the hunt goes out not only varies seasonally, it varies geographically, too. Like up in Massachusetts, we would hunt in the afternoons. Right. You know, we would go out at three in the afternoon, certain parts of the year. And here in Florida, uh, you pretty much go first thing in the morning or you don't. <laughs> and, and Texas is a lot the same. There's usually a very short window in, you know, parts of January into February where it's it stays cool enough that you can go out any later than 10 o'clock and actually have set. Yeah. 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 So autumn hunting is the term now used for sport that happens in the autumn of the year. Yep. There we go. Good. And it's also, you think about um, 
this is the time when new huntsmen are having their first hunts and getting to know the pack of hounds. It's, you know, new staff maybe learning their job. So it's, it's, it's kind of like the spring almost of fox hunting in a way. Cause it's when yeah. the newness is really yeah. is. Yeah. I think that's a good way to explain it. It's the springtime. It's the same as spring horse shows would be in your typical horse show season. If you were hunting exactly. at, or if you were showing at local and regional shows, it's like the springtime season. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So if anyone who's listening is contemplating going hunting, this is a really fantastic time to go. And, and I think one of the scarier things for people who start fox hunting is they're, they're concerned about having the right things to wear and tack and all that. And autumn hunting is, is just that it's, it's less stringent. And so, you know, like a lot of hunts and I know North Carolina, Texas, probably Florida, they're not even wearing the tweed coats. They're wearing polo shirts and sun shirts. Yes. Polo shirts are the norm here in Florida. <laughs> right. So you, you can get out and be comfortable and, you know, get your horse acclimated and see if it's a good fit for you. Yeah. Perfect. Well, we talked all about autumn hunting, all about interesting adventures most recently in Tara's life. Now it's time to talk about the Ma- Masters of Foxhounds Association because they're the folks who sponsor this. Yes, and I do have um, some fun and exciting things to share. Uh, we we have a guest on today who is in the most recent newsletter for the MFHA that will come to all MFHA members' inboxes tomorrow. So if you're interested in learning about fox hunting and you want to be more in the know about um, all the things fox hunting, joining the MFHA is not expensive. And I should have this on the tip of my tongue. But if I remember, it's it's like $35 or $40. It's fairly inexpensive. And it gets you the newsletter every month. And then you get two paper copies of the magazine, which is called Coverside. And so Mia and Britta are on the podcast today. And there's a delightful article about them in the newsletter with some fun pictures. And also, the MFHA launched a new website. I think it was last month, but they also now have a Lands End shop on the MFHA website. So if you really? want to, yes, you can go and basically anything Lands End makes, you can buy with the MFHA's new fantastic logo that Ec Media did. So if you just go to MFHA.org or MFHA.com, I think that both of those websites will get you to their site. You can get all the exciting MFHA gear there um, at the MFHA website. There also is the information about the performance trials, which Fred Berry is going to be talking to us today about the performance trials with hounds. And you can go look and find the schedule and see the results as they happen um, there. And lastly, the other one thing I did want to mention, we hopefully will get someone from them on the podcast next month, but Andrew's bridge Fox hound Fox Hunt recently won um, a conservation award from the MFHA. And I think that's kind of the unsung, unknown thing about fox hunting is that as an organization, they do a tremendous amount of effort and work and put a lot of resources into conserving land across the United States. Obviously, interest of fox hunting, but also that that land is available for people who go fishing and camping and Anything that's outdoorsy, it, it preserves that land and, and prevents it from being developed or something along those lines. So lots going on with MFHA. Yay, fox hunting. Boo, shopping malls. No. 
right? Yeah, like that. Well, cool. I didn't know about the Lane's Edge shop. I'm going to go a little, do a little shopping. So, um, yes. <laughs> right? do a little shopping right now. Well, why don't we go ahead and get uh, Britta and her daughter Mia on the phone and have a little chat? Sounds good. So I am excited tonight, today, to be chatting with Britta and Mia, who I understand have a pretty delightful story about what was possibly a bit of a problem pony who found his calling in fox hunting. And there's an article coming out, I know, in the MFHA newsletter about uh, Mia and her pony, but only members of the MFHA get the newsletter, so I'm excited to share this story with our broader listening audience, which will hopefully encourage folks to join the MFHA and get the newsletter. But let's start out with if Mia, you would tell us how this pony was acquired and what is his or her name? So Kismet was a nurse mare foal from Kentucky and my mother named him Kismet and it just seemed to work perfectly ever since. So how long have you had Kismet? He is six now, and we've had him since he was three months old. Oh, wow. So you've had him since he was a little pony. So, Britta, tell us how, I'm, I'm guessing maybe that Mia didn't get Kismet started, but how? who started Kismet, and what was his initial career? So we adopted him when he was three months old, along with another nurse, Mia Fowl, that Mia fell in love with. And um, it was Mia's first trainer who had a um, a rescue organization, Eleventh Hour Foal Haven, and um, she is the one who started him when he was two and a half, along with the other horse that was a little bit younger, and he was always a handful on the ground. Um, he is somewhat dominant and we've always, since he didn't have a mother to keep him in check, we've always kept um, a watch on it and really established um, good boundaries. But he is one that will always push the boundaries. Of course. So Mia wasn't really excited, but since her other horse was injured, she started working with him and had a friend of ours who um, gave her lessons and it took quite some time for Mia to become comfortable with him just because he was such a challenge. So Mia, tell us about the first time you took Kismet fox hunting. The first time we went third flight, it was a very interesting experience to say the least. He immediately enjoyed seeing the hounds and watching everybody go off. About an hour through, we had to cross a pretty steep bank into a stream. He was a little unsure at first, and he jumped into a hole. <laughs> and we both fell completely underwater. We were soaked. My saddle, everything was soaked. And oh, my gosh. It was gosh. pretty cold out that day. <laughs> but... I hopped back on he and we continued and he was happy to keep going. He wasn't injured. And ever since that, he's been picture perfect out hunting. So how long have you, how many seasons have you hunted Kismet now? This will be his second season. He immediately 
after I took him out one more time at third flight and he immediately moved up to second flight. And once he was jumping everything in second flight, we took him out in first and he loved it. Fabulous. So is he your only horse or pony slot that you hunt? He is. My paint, I do the meter 10 jumpers with. And as much as my mom would like me to take him out hunting, he's very sensitive and anxious. Yeah. But I'm hoping to take my other nurse mare foal out hunting this year. So is hunting then Kismet's only job or do you do other things with him? since he's made his calling he will he's pretty much an all-around pony i can i do a bit of eventing with him and i will do some jumpers with him too he recently did a few hunter classes so oh, very he's nice. pretty much an all-around pony and you have um I, re- I read in the newsletter you you ride with a pretty fun trainer i do i with Lainey Ashker. She is a five-star runner. She really helped me overcome a few challenges with Kismet and, and all of my horses. She's super encouraging and just the right amount of tough. I really love training with her. Well, and I would be remiss if I didn't ask what hunt that you ride with. I ride with Kismet Hunt and I am a junior member. Keswick has been really inviting and kind, and I love hunting with them. Fabulous. Britta, do you ride at all? Do you hunt? So I have taken a break from riding because, unfortunately, I lost my old mayor, who was a fox hunter all her life. And um, I'm hoping to get our other nurse mayor, Paul, who's really pretty calm, Unfortunately, we tried to take him out last year, and I think we did him a little bit of a disservice. He um, had not trailered in quite some time, and it was over an hour trailer ride. So by the time we got there, I think he was already a little on edge. And he's super calm and quiet. And that day, I think everybody thought that I was a crazy mom. How, How could I let my child get on this horse? Because he was just having a meltdown. So Mia's going to try him again um, this season. We've done quite a bit of um, outings now, so that should no longer be an issue for him. And I'm hoping that um, I'm going to be able to go and third flight and watch her from a distance. <laughs> Wonderful. So if listeners want to follow along, do you all have a Facebook or an Instagram or anything where people can follow you? Or just should they come out to Keswick and, and meet you there? Well, they should also come out to Keswick, but I do have an Instagram. It is Mia.Valdez1. And I'm also on Facebook under the same username. Fabulous. Well, thank you, ladies, so much for joining us and sharing your story. And it looks like our next guest is already waiting in the wings. Go for it, Tara. I am excited today to be chatting with Fred Berry, and we're going to start off with an intro, Fred, if you would tell us a little bit about yourself, where you live, where you hunt, and what your role is with fox hunting. Okay. All right, Tara. Thanks for having me on. This is my very first podcast, so uh, wish me luck. Uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm uh, 
I am the huntsman and one of the joint masters of the Sedgefield hunt in the Piedmont of North Carolina. The main city near us is Greensboro. Uh, okay. I've been the hunts. Yeah. I've been the huntsman for maybe 33 or 34 years, depending on how you count them. Uh, I've been a joint master mm, a, a fair bit of that time. This is uh, my last year's huntsman. I'm a lame duck huntsman for the Sedgefield hunt this year. Um, so have you have all of those 30 some years of being a huntsman been with Sedgefield? Yep. I oh, was raised impressive. here. I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, my side job is as a lawyer. And when I was in college and law school, the hunt uh, needed a kennel person. And so I, uh, I came on working with a famous huntsman, Ian Milne. Uh, and yeah, there's the Ian Milne award in American Fox hunting as the, it's the Heisman trophy for Fox hunting. It's a lifetime achievement award. So, uh, for me personally to have understudied with Ian was, was a great gift of mine and gosh, the hunt was paying great wages. They started me off at $25 a week and then felt guilty and moved it up to $40 a week. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but I, I got hooked on fox hunting and fox hunted through college and law school. And, uh, while I, I missed a lot of the social in college and law school because of my dedication to being in the woods, I gained a lot and it's provided a, a wonderful life for me and my wife. Well, I will say as someone who did participate in all the fun in college, I think it might've been better if I'd been fox hunting instead. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's all good. So, it's all good. One thing, I mean, and, and the, the what we're going to talk about today is, is performance trials. Before we go there, I just kind of talking about your role with Sedgefield and how, you know, this is your, your final year as a huntsman. I, one right. of the things that is, challenge that faces hunts around the United States is, is longevity. And so are you training your, your huntsman replacement or are you recruiting that person right now? Or what does that look like? Yeah, I've raised her. Uh, uh, and by that, I mean, uh, uh, there's a, a wonderful young woman, uh, I guess, uh, she's knocking on towards 30. So maybe she's not as young as as, as I think she is, uh, but her grandmother whipped in, uh, to Ian with me 45 years ago. And she was raised up in a family of fox hunters. Uh, and she's, she's come to like it. She and her husband, Clint are raising, uh, two wonderful little children and they're going to move the kennel up to their place and, uh, and have a, a neat, a neat life of, of country sports. And we're, we're so blessed to have her and, and it addresses the continuity problem that you were raising. Uh, you know, uh, not a lot of hunts have had a huntsman 35 years. And, uh, if, if we keep going, I'll bet you Randall will be good for 20 or 30 years. 
Well, and, and if she's got young kids growing up with the hunt, that bodes even better for, for longevity. So that's wonderful. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So what we really wanted to talk about today, and, and this is something that, like I said, you know, I've hunted for, I think this is my 11th or 12th season going into, um, and where I live in Texas, performance trials are not really a thing. I was first um, introduced to them in Nebraska in the fall of 2019, and I met Up Wilson and a number of other folks there who were pretty involved in performance trials. But if you could start by just kind of, because my understanding from Mr. Barclay, the director of hunting for the MFHA, is you're kind of spearheading the performance trials this year, and it's it's a series or so, so to speak. That's right. This year uh, is the uh, uh, national championship series for foxhound performance trials. And come March, uh, we'll have the national championship in Hoffman, North Carolina. Uh, but between now and March, there are eight or nine uh, regional performance trials, which are qualifiers. And the hounds that rank in the top 10 of each trial qualify for the national championship. We just had our first one at the Millbrook Hunt in New York. And so what does a performance trial look like? All right, this, this is the deal. Uh, this is how they work. I'll just take you through it. Uh, each hunt, like we'll, we'll go through the Millbrook Hunt performance trial. Each hunt uh, selects five of their best hounds. And each hound is given a number and that number is placed on the side of the hound either with dye or paint uh, and the numbers are supposed to be legible enough for the uh, judges to to read them and then uh, all those hounds are brought together and it's fascinating because each 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 five hounds is a member of its own pack this is the all-star game you see and so all those hounds come together but there can only be one coach, and that coach is the huntsman. Tony Leahy was was our huntsman last week. Uh, and so uh, there was 16 and a half couple of hounds. Listening audience, you count hounds in couples, uh, and a half a couple equals one hound. So uh, there were uh, 16 and a half couple of hounds. They were all brought together, and they were expected to perform for the judges, they're judged on mainly three criteria. One is called hunting, and hunting is riding along with the huntsman, sniffing around as hard as you can, trying to sniff up a track, the line. A line is where a fox or coyote's been, and that's hunting. It's a valuable um, quality in a hound, and and those hounds get scores, and the judges are riding around with recorders and they're going to see number 19 hunting and they're going to say 805, 19 hunting. And that's going to entitle that 19 hound to a score. Then, and if I'm going too fast, you want to interrupt me, holler. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you how it works. Then the other, uh, the other feature, uh, the next feature is trailing. And trailing is when a hound finds a line and it opens and, and it's the first hound to speak, that's called opening. And 
hound opens on a line. And then what's, what's going to happen is if the other hounds think that hound is trustworthy, they're going to come in and try to help him. Uh, if they're unsure, they're not going to, they're not going to, uh, bother. So part of a pack of hounds is building the relationship between each other that has trust involved. And so a hound opens and then another hound will come in and start sniffing that line and it'll open and boom, boom, boom. They start speaking on the line, moving it forward, going, it's a cold track uh, and that's called trailing. And those hounds get trailing points, but then eventually the noise gets higher and higher and higher and the speed gets bigger and bigger. And you know it when you see it, but it's hard to explain the difference between trailing and full cry. That's the next level of scores. Hound is in full cry. They're screaming and they're racing and they're, they're hustling for it. They want it. And then the full cry scores begin and full cry scores are collected. The full cry scores are the most desirable and in the scoring system earn the most points. I've had debates with people about whether that ought to be the, uh, that ought to be how it's done, but it's that that's the rule. Uh, and then it, and, and so the hounds are hunted, uh, in that way. And they're judged. And at the end of the hunt, the judges take their scores and listen to their, or listen to their recorder and transcribe their scores on a piece of paper. And then those scores are entered into the program and through the wizardry of the tabulate button, the program generates the winners. And so, uh, then that's that's kind of the big picture. It's and you know, I, like I said, I've only been to one performance trial, but one of the most amazing things to me about it is how you have, and it is you know the best of the best that come together. They don't mm-hmm. know one another, and they hunt for a huntsman they don't know. That's right. Which that's really right. it's like it's, it's like. Uh, 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 going to the Olympics and and a uh, basketball player playing for a coach they've never met before, and they arrive at the Olympics and they got a gel. So it's it's fascinating from an animal science point of view uh, and an animal behavior point of view. Going to what I said about trust, the first day it's a it's a two day affair these performance trials, and the first day is generally. Uh, and, uh, and a trust building day, you hope. In other words, the hounds are learning each other and learning to determine whether their fellow hound is worth believing because it's possible that that fellow hound, when it speaks, is telling a lie and like is speaking on a deer or something. And so, the first day, the hounds are trying to sort out whether these new hounds in my neighborhood are telling the truth. The second day, they know it, and it all comes together like it did in Millbrook, and we had an epic second day because the hounds knew and trusted each other. So wonderful. And 
I, I know, um, again, the one that I attended there, you know, it was a, it was a full field riding with the hunt. Is it the same at most performance trials or is it usually yeah. just staff riding? No, no. Uh, the full field rides and, and that's, it's, it's just fantastic because, uh, the, uh, and, and, uh, members from each competing hunt will, will have, will be in the field. Uh, guests will be in the field knowing, Ooh, this might be some good sport. I want to get a piece of that. It's like the, the stadium getting packed, uh, on Sunday afternoon. Uh, the people that care that are aficionados of the sport, they want to see this because it's darn fun and quite exciting. Yeah, and I, I will say um, I learned so much, both riding with, um, I rode first flight, and then um, also listening to the judges discuss and talk about, you know, what they saw each day at the end of the hunt. And I think Jen has yeah. a question. Are there hounds that are excellent quality hounds that do their job well, but do not do well at a performance trial? You bet. That's a great question. Uh, and, and yes, uh, there are hounds uh, that some hounds only hunt for their huntsmen. I, I was out at the Tejone Ranch in California several years ago, helping with their performance trial. And, uh, and we had, we had hounds that of all types that were there from English hounds to American hounds to Walker hounds. And then one of the hunts had French hounds and those French hounds were, they were not gonna hunt for for uh, Tice, and Tice was the huntsman. Uh, Tice is a brilliant huntsman, but those hounds were all about their their huntsman, and so she had to ride with Tice to uh, get them to follow her. So, uh, and and some hounds are just too sensitive uh, to to work on that team. So that's one of the fun things that you see. When I imagine that's something that a huntsman who takes their hounds to something like this, who maybe hasn't done it before, they learn more about their hounds, which might impact how they breed future. Well, that's right. That's right. Uh, and, uh, and, and you learn about your hounds, but you, you've got to be careful if you're a huntsman, like, uh, to, to not let what they do at the performance trial dictate your breeding program unless you want to because oh, of course yeah. uh, the, these hounds are, are bred for uh the, the winners of performance trials by and large are going to be crossbred hounds and by crossbred hounds these these are hounds that have a dash of a of english hound uh i call them ferraris these are are just high powered high performance hounds the Sedgefield hunt where I'm the huntsman, we have Penn Meridale hounds and they're known for being loud and tenacious and a little bit shy, uh, but a little more deliberate than a crossbred hound. And so while I love going to a performance trial, uh, you'd be hard pressed to get me to breed across to a crossbred hound because my country can't stand those, those hounds that are that powerful. 
Interesting. And that that's what I believe is one of the more, you know, most interesting things that, you know, people, when you're learning about fox hunting and you're getting into fox hunting and Fred, I grew up in a ranching family in Montana. So needless to say, there were not a lot of foxhounds around. Um, what, now, where'd you grow up? Where'd you grow up? Mile City, Montana. Okay. Which ironically, yeah. they do a big fox hunting event there every year now, which is a whole separate conversation. But anyways, it's it's fascinating with, to me. That's with the go ahead. That's that's with the bucking horse sale at Mile City. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all, you need to do a podcast on that. Oh, we have. Don't worry. My dad ran the bucking horse sale for twenty years. <laughs> um, oh, really? Oh, but. Boy. It's, you know, in the United States is such a diverse territory that the hunt that does well in Texas is not going to be the same hound that does well at Tahone, is not going to be the same hound that does well in Seattle, that does well in Virginia. And I I think that, to me, that's also what makes the performance trials even more interesting is is hounds try different territories. So we're about out of time. And before we let you go, I did, I know there's upcoming performance trials. And if someone's listening and they want to go, you know, you know, perhaps ride with a hunt at a performance trial, or they just kind of want to go participate in the social events and learn about it. Where can they find more information? Great question. And thank you for asking. We have a series of performance trials. The next one is at the Andrews bridge hunt later this month. And then we, the Sedgefield hunt running one in the sand Hills of North Carolina in October Bull Run, Blue Ridge Hunt are doing one in late October. And then the uh, Long Run Woodford Hound in Kentucky are doing one in early December. You can learn about those in a couple of different places. One, we've set up a Facebook page dedicated to these trials. It's called Foxhound Performance Trials. Just real easy. Foxhound yeah. Performance Trials. And go to that Facebook page. Like us, share us. We want to build a national audience. We want the the we want to engage the world in this exciting series. Another place to to go and look is the MFHA website. Uh, they've got an event schedule there, and you can click on that. So those are two places. And uh, so we we would encourage your listening audience to go fox hunt and come to a performance trial. Uh, uh, email the links on the upcoming series because it's it's more fun than a human being ought to have I'll tell you that fabulous and we'll put links to everything in our show notes to make it easy for our listeners to just go click there Well, what a lovely chat we had with Fred. Don't I just I love the mid Atlantic accents. I'm sorry, it's superficial, but it's so fun. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent, yes. And I really didn't know that much about Sedgefield Hunt, so that was fun to learn more about that as well as the performance trials. Yeah, it was. I, I'm going to check one of those out if any of them come to our area. And thanks for listening to this episode overall. As Tara alluded to earlier, that she is here on the third Thursday of each and every month where we get to geek out on all things fox hunting. If you're curious about fox hunting and have, have topics or you want us to cover or questions you want asked about fox hunting, you can drop me an email, Jennifer at and we'll see if we can't squeeze it in. And Tara, she can be found on Instagram. She is TN Tibbets with two T's at the end. 
And for a link for today's show, go to horsesinthemorning.com, the episode for the 16th of September, 2021. You can follow us on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning on Facebook. We're the official page. And if you haven't done so already, download the free Horse Radio Network app for your iPhone or your Android. It's easy to use. You can choose as many of the different shows on the Horse Radio Network as you want to be automatically downloaded to your phone. And thanks to our sponsors. And who are they? The Masters of Sounds Association. Dun, dun, dun. If you have a business that would appeal to horse folks and fox hunters that would like to help support this program as well, we do have ads available. Drop me a yes. line, Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. You never know, right? Absolutely. And and I will say, as a I think I've listened now for five or so years to the horse horse radio network episodes or podcasts. Listeners buy what people talk about on these podcasts. Yes, I'm going to go shopping at Land's End via MFHA.com right now. Yep. All right. Well, good night. Good night. <laughs>